OWS fam, my dudes, Sharp Football Analysis Nation. I butchered that intro, but we are back, baby. Uh, we move on. <laughs> we were just talking offline, uh, Rich and I, that we both have uh, had very little sleep recently. So excuse my stumbling on words, but we are back, baby. We are headed into week 14 of the year of our Lord 2023. And man, what a beautiful, honestly, I'm going to describe this as a beautiful slate it is. Because I'm sure you've heard nothing but, oh my God, doom and gloom, this slate is atrocious. Where are we going to get points? But that is exactly the kind of slate that we can extract some EV from. So with that, welcome back to Searching for Ceiling, presented by One Week Season and Sharp Football Analysis. I am Hilo, will be joined shortly by Rich Rebar. Let's dig in. One Week Season. My dude, Rich, welcome, man. And uh, <laughs> I butchered that intro, that cold opening. But um, yeah, we both have been uh, been kind of on the mend and, and dealing with some stuff. Um, we were talking before we jumped on here. Um, everything doing all right with yourself? Yeah, yeah. You know, yes, yeah, I spent some time with some illness was down the, the last couple of days. But, you know, we're back. We're, we're here. We only have five full weeks left. We only get so many of these. And, uh, <laughs> Stop you know, it. I don't know about you, but I, well, we have playoffs and playoffs are always fun. But it's not the same, yeah. right? It's we, we do DFS in the playoffs and we do some sports and stuff, but it's just not the same. We love these full weeks and we only have five of them left. Let's cherish them. That's insane, right? And we were, <laughs> we were also talking before we got on that, like, we feel like our process is on point right now. But the we've been like sniffing. We've been and at the door knocking like let us into that bink room man uh but i feel like it's coming dude i feel like it is coming you and i have been all over it recently so with that thank you guys best part of the week we appreciate that happy birthday mr thomas james moran we appreciate you yeah, joining us on your birthday, birthday dude happy uh big big two six let's go oh my god i'm old uh <laughs> we digress um but i wanted to start today um i wanted to go through how we turn a slate? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's fine. You didn't need to date yourself like that, man. Come on. Uh, I wanted to start today, real quick, at the beginning of this uh, session here, and talk about like how the process that we can take, that we can form these repeatable habit patterns, where we can turn a slate like this into a beautiful slate, into something that we're excited to attack and into something where we can generate expected value on the field. And that kind of starts with starting our process in a different spot than the field. What does the field, how does the field start their process? Like this. The field starts their process by looking at, at game totals, looking at the game environments. And while that's not necessarily a bad thing, I think too much emphasis is placed on looking to Vegas lines and game totals to give us the, the the cliff notes and the cheat sheet of the week. And what I mean by that is on this slate, the field is highly likely to scroll down here and be like, oh my God, we have nothing in the early morning portion of the slate and all the upside is held in the afternoon. Yes, Seattle, San Francisco, we know that they can play to a high scoring affair. Yes, the big name of the week, the big, the marquee game of the week is the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs. But we also have like digging deeper into this slate. We have a Lions and Bears game with a moderate, moderate, we'll say game total of 43 and a half. But what's interesting about that spot is look at the Lions past month of play. 
you look at the points that have been scored in games involving the Lions over the past four weeks, an average, average of 62 points scored in games involving the Lions over the past four weeks. They've had a 79-pointer affair. Uh, so this is very clearly a team that has kind of been forced to win by scoring points. And why is that? Their defense has not been up to par um, with respect to, I mean, the last kind of the, the opening act of this Lions team was everybody watching the first game of the season. They shut down um, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, held them to 20 points. So it's like, okay, the Lions are here with their defense and they're going to win these dirty games. And But since then, this team has had or been forced to to outscore their opponent. And that that's a nuanced saying or a nuanced statement. It's like, yeah, we know that you win games by scoring more than your opponents, but NFL franchises approach that very differently. The Lions of recent have had to keep their foot on the throttle and score points to win games. Yes, they're at nine and three. Yes, they are challenging for the number one seed in the NFC, but this team has some issues behind the scenes. So that is a spot that I am highly interested in. Another one is this Baltimore Ravens team. And you might also be thinking, Hilo, those are two games that are hashtag weather concerns. <laughs> yes, there might be some wind. There might be some rain. These are grown-ass men. They're playing a grown-ass man's game. They are going to be just fine. There, We'll talk about weather in a little bit. But the overall like process that leads us to identifying those spots as potential upside spots. We don't want to be thinking about weather until Saturday evening, Sunday morning, because there is a weird psychological effect that happens. If you write off a team or a game earlier in the week, because you're like, Oh, well, they're expecting 20 mile per hour wins. That is very hard to come back from as opposed to go through your process. Don't even look at weather tune out everything else identify the spots, and then we can react to if there's weather later on the week, because now you have not like introduced those negative biases in your brain, which are very hard to come back from human psychology, whatever it's nerd shit. Uh, but here we are rich in that discussion of like, how do we identify and uh, establish this repeatable habit pattern? Are there any other spots that kind of you you immediately were drawn to this week that the field might not be? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm always someone that because I've, I've wrote a, a matchups article literally for 10 years uh, yeah. that, you know, I am more of like an individual pieces, you know, DFS player. Like I'm more honed in on like the plays that I just think are like the better plays. Right. And then yeah. I will get into more of like the game stacking and, you know, the the, the onslaught type elements of the, the game that like a lot of people start off with. So I'm more or less looking for like really sound like individual plays. And I like when the games like feature multiple of them. Right. And that's how I kind of, I will, I will uh, build kind of like my, my construction around that. So like, so like bears lions has a lot of intriguing pieces in it. I think Colts Bengals has a, a plethora of individual pieces, especially in context of like, you know, salary. Right. And like how we can yeah. build teams because we always talk about on this show too, you know, we're searching for ceiling, but kind of like where the, the field is going to go in terms of like lineup construction, right? We've talked about that like weekly on this show. And, yep. you know, we have another quarterback slate 
for the second week in a row that it's very top heavy. We have very limited access to quarterbacks that potentially have like 30 point plus ceilings, right? We talked about that last week. And what that does is twofold is it allows you to either pay up for guys that have those ceilings or it opens up the field to compete now uh, to pay down. You know, you look at last week, we had guys like Joe Flacco at 4,600, you know, be an immense value and unlock, you know, what you can get to other rosters. We had Gardner Minshew get another top 12 week, uh, Matthew Stafford. And like, we have another one of those weeks again this week where we really have Josh Allen at the top. Uh, we have Brock Purdy who continuously kind of just floats around there and that, that, that price zone and continues to get there, but he's playing a team that, you know, he hasn't scored a lot of points in his three starts uh, against Seattle. Uh, and then you've got Lamar Jackson. And then we basically have the field kind of wide open again. I, I, I feel bad if not including Patrick Mahomes in that, in that statement, but I, yeah. we have not seen that, that, that has not been Patrick Mahomes 2023, uh, especially against teams that are like capable defensively. Uh, so that's going to be an interesting spot when we get there, that Chiefs game in general. But yeah, uh, probably, you know, when I look at the early slate, you know, Bears, Lions and uh, Cincinnati Bengals and Colts are the two games that kind of stand out early for me is like offering like a lot of pathways early on to unlocking some of what we can kind of chase later on in the afternoon. Yeah, 100 percent. So as we like go through that process of <clears throat> we have to have a repeatable starting point for me, it is breaking down the games um, and looking for the, I, I kind of start like macro and work my way narrow down. So like I start with the breaking down the games, looking at the game environment as a whole, how, what is the likeliest sp uh, way for this game to play out? Then I'll go to the individual teams. Can this team succeed uh, or outproduce their expectation? And then I'm down to individual players and structuring it that way for me, allows me to keep out all the negative biases that can creep in or keep out that feeling of, oh God, the the Chiefs and the, the Bills is the game of the week. I have to get exposure right. to that. So um, this is all over to individual, like take what we say, try like chew it up, chew it for a minute, spit it out. You know, it's over to each individual player to identify and establish their own habit patterns. We're just showing you what works for us and kind of giving you an idea of how we approach a slate that is quote unquote ugly like this one. So with that, <laughs> I think we should start at the Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs and then um, we'll see what comes of it. I have my own kind of conceptions of of this <laughs> spot, but I want to hear your your perception of the spot and we'll go from there and then move to some of these other game environments. Yeah, it's interesting, this game in total. Obviously, the Chiefs in general, we've got a few like working factors with them. Well, one, they were getting a ton of defensive turnovers earlier in the year, and that, that that's kind of slowed down. And it, it's hard in the NFL to rely on just like extremely great defense, like wire to wire over the course of the season. And that's kind of what the Chiefs have been this year. Uh, they've yeah. hit offensively in a few spots that were advantageous from outside looking in, right? Like the Raiders game, obvious spot that they could smash. The Chargers game, obvious spots. But in some of these like teams that are like either in the middle or like front end defensively, like they've really struggled. I mean, they are now 31st in the NFL in points scored below their expectation this season. Only the New England Patriots have scored fewer points than their implied totals this season than the Kansas City Chiefs. They've scored fewer than 20 points now in five games this year. Uh, under Patrick Mahomes the previous four years, that they did that just six total times. Yeah. So this is an offense that has kind of let us down in terms of getting there. And it's really like when you talk about the individual pieces, I mean, they're really down to two to three guys, say 2.5 guys 
that they we can rely on offensively for them. Obviously, one is Travis Kelsey still, uh, you know, getting the kind of still the, the brunt of the, the target share in this offense. He's hard to fit in uh, typically, like in the meta construction of how 2023 DFS has gone because we're even allocating salary. And he hasn't had like the Travis Kelsey, like competing to be like a wide receiver one type of ceiling that he's yeah. had in years past either, which makes it hard. You have Isaiah Pacheco, who has been very touchdown dependent, and another guy that's been kind of easy to diagnose based on matchups when he's going to get there. We also don't know if he's going to play this weekend. He has not practiced to the point of us recording this podcast, which could make a guy like Jerick McKinnon very interesting on a slate like this. Uh, and then we have Rasheed Rice, who is the, you know kind of extending his workload. Uh, he now has set a new season high in route participation in each of the past two weeks. He has over 30% team target shares in over the past two weeks as well. So focusing on the Kansas City Chiefs from an individual basis side is very easy, but also is this team going to get there? Because they haven't regularly been there. They've been letting us down. So starting with the Chiefs side in general, like that's kind of where I am with they are. The Bills become more interesting. I concur 100%. And I, I also want to mention, or at least we need to have this in the back of our minds, that the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills are each top five in points allowed per game this season. So this is not just like, hey, we have we have Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills in this elite offense, and we have Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs in this elite offense. Um, thinking about this game like a matchup like this, like we would have over the previous three seasons, this is a very different spot, right? Right. Um, Wide receivers have had a difficult time against the uh, against the Bills. Um, we know that the Chiefs are playing this this too high shell that is this this Steep Spags defense that is extremely intent on limiting explosive plays. Um, so what that kind of sets up is two sides that are probably going to have to string together drives and march the field, and that's kind of what Spags is trying to do is throw in these unique unique blitzes, throw in these unique coverages over the span of an entire drive where they're forcing teams to march 80 yards down the field and hoping to generate some disruption within that through these unique blitzes, through these generating turnovers. Um, and that kind of, that shortens games, right? And that's kind of what we're seeing the Chiefs, how we're seeing them play is like, they're kind of shortening games. They're They're not like, saying, all right, we're just, we just got to go toe-to-toe to every opponent this season and let Patrick Mahomes cook. It's a little bit different mindset mm-hmm. and mentality here. So, yeah, there's there's equal parts downside to upside in this spot. And I think the field is just like it's highest game total of the week. Uh, yeah, it's Patrick it Mahomes. It's Josh Allen. Let's jam mm-hmm. it in. Um, that's also an interesting aspect or thing to think about as far as uh, ownership and the fact that a lot of these players in this game are high priced. Um, well, I love that you brought that up uh, about how the Chiefs are approaching defense because we've seen a cultural shift in the in it's a two game sample, you know, since Ken Dorsey was let go. But yeah. we have seen the Buffalo Bills now these past two games. They are fourth in the NFL in target rate to their running backs. Uh, and it's not just James Cook. They're starting to incorporate the ghost of Ty Johnson as well. But, yeah. uh, you know, James Cook, particularly in this matchup and looking at projected ownership, feels like he's going way overlooked. He's got over 20 touches in each of the two games since Ken Dorsey's been fired. Uh, he has actually played every single goal to go snap 
for the Bills too in those two games. And it's again a two game sample. But yeah, uh, the way the Bills have kind of operated their offense now in these two games has been more of the quick game, and it could be just you know structure based on their opponent. But they're also getting another opponent that invites you to do that, right? Like you know the Eagles and Jets are the two teams they face, and they kind of invite you to do that. So it could be a game where like James Cook man is like really getting overlooked. Like I, he's a guy I keep going back to on the slate and looking at projected ownership and kind of where I see this game getting played out at us. And and we know he's a guy that could be like hyper efficient on a per touch basis too we've seen it so like you could get big plays out of him too for upside yeah and that goes into like our game plan development for this slate and for this game in particular is like how is the field approaching this this game they're probably like i need to get one piece from this spot because it's the game with the highest total because of the changing dynamics of each of these teams it leads to, like we talked about, equal parts chance of failure as chance of success. But the chance of success probably is a higher ceiling than in other spots around the league this week. So that leads me to, like, this is a spot where I am all in attacking the game environment, or I'm kind of just staying away and saying, hey, these this team these teams might play to a, a 50 point game, um, but the the primary pieces are so priced up that that still might not be enough for us this week. So I think it's a very interesting spot to dive fully in and be like, Hey, I don't even, I haven't looked at ownership yet, but I feel mm-hmm. like Josh Allen might be going overlooked. I feel like Stefan Diggs might be going overlooked on the slate. Um, and like you mentioned, James cook has seen some significant workload over the previous two weeks since Ken Dorsey was fired. So like something to the effect of Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, James cook, Nobody's going to be doing that this week is very interesting to me, kind of playing to this game environment. You can bring it back with a Rasheed Rice, with an Isaiah Pacheco if he plays, with a Jarek McKinnon if Pacheco is out, um, and kind of buy into this game environment. Other than that, for me personally, I'm kind of just like, I'll find some upside elsewhere. Uh, Is that kind of your read on the situation as well? I do think, though, like there's it could be and I hate to do this back to back times, but, you know, uh, I I think Gabe Davis is particularly interesting in this game, though, as well. Uh, I think when you look structurally how the Chiefs have played defense, the way they've used Legereus Sneed to kind of shadow wide receiver ones and you look at the wide receiver one production against the Chiefs compared to wide receiver two production, there is a significant gap. Uh, Devontae Adams has the most receiving yards for a wide receiver one against the Kansas City Chiefs at 73 yards this season. Amon Ross St. Brown, 71. A.J. Brown, only eight. Keenan Allen, 55. Tyreek Hill, 62. Uh, oddly enough, on Sunday night, the Chiefs decided to have Legereus Sneed shadow Romeo Dobbs instead of Christian yeah. Watson, uh, which, you know, hey, good for you. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I appreciate it. As but you look at these secondary great. wide receivers against the Chiefs, and you know, maybe Devontae Smith doesn't count. Maybe he's more of a 1A, but he had six for 99. Josh Palmer, five for 133. Jacoby Myers, six for 79 and a touchdown. Jordan Addison, when Justin Jefferson was playing, had six for 64 and a touchdown. Josh Reynolds had 80 yards, more than Amon Ross St. Brown in that game. Alan Lazard had 61 yards and a touchdown when these teams played. So I do think that Gabe Davis is going to have an opportunity to maybe have back-to-back solid uh, games. And he is a guy that in this particular matchup, obviously we're not going to chase the ghost of the four touchdowns in the AFC championship game a couple years ago, but even when these teams played last year, he had 74 yards and a touchdown. So, I mean, it, we, we've, we've, we've done it, uh, the Gabe Davis dance before, but I mean, we did it. We yeah. successfully hit against the Eagles. Uh, I, he is a guy on my radar again this week. That is, to me, um, very interesting because when I look at the Chiefs and kind of how they are handling their defense, 
Um, this is a defense that is blitzing more than they ever have under Spagnuolo. They are fourth in the league in blitz rate at 34.8%. They're generating pressure at the second highest rate in the league behind only the Jets. And when we talk about like the the growth of Josh Allen, it used he used to be a guy that was like, you blitz him because he is not good at handling the blitz. Over the last season and a half, he's kind of become more capable against the blitz. And typically what we see, what we used to see was that was Stefan Diggs range. It was just, they're finding the first read against the blitz. And that's very often Stefan Diggs. Now this year in a, in a, the changing dynamics of this team, they have Dalton Kincaid that can be that guy against the blitz that quick win within the first five yards of line of scrimmage over the middle of the field. They have now James cook that they're utilizing through the air at a heavier rate. Um, in the absence of Ken Dorsey. So this is a spot to me where we used to be able to say with a high degree of confidence, Josh Allen against the blitz, you play Stefan Diggs. this year. That's not necessarily the case. And particularly since Ken Dorsey was fired, that's not necessarily the case. So that kind of introduces a little bit wider range of outcomes for a guy where we used to have this feeling of you just play him when you get a spot, uh, a high blitz rate defense against the bills. Um, the other part of that that's interesting is with the pressure that the Chiefs are able to generate, that to me was saying like, I was reading that situation as Gabe Davis has a lower probability chance of having time for his routes to develop. Um, so for me, I almost like, it was, it was shocking to hear you say Gabe Davis, because for me personally, I was like, this could be a spot where I'm off Gabe Davis after his large week last season. So very, very interesting uh, competing kind of methodologies leading us down that path for this game. Um, anything else uh, to bring out from this spot particular? No, I mean, it'll just be interesting to see what the, the Bills do with Dawson Knox's backup. Uh, you know, I remember our very first week on the show, I was telling you that the, the, the Bills structure of how they built this to play 12 personnel actually was limiting their offense. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. I'm curious to see if Dawson Knox returning, do they just go revert back to being like a 12 personnel team or do they kind of go on what's, what's worked? Because like the Bills aren't losing games because of their offense the last yeah. month. Like it's just, they've had some weird fluky things happen. Like obviously like, you know, the, the, the Denver game, but like this is a team that's still scoring points. And they're moving the football. Uh, but I'm very curious to see if Dawson Knox returns. Do we get less Dalton Kincaid? Do we get less Khalil Shakir? Uh, and how like that that impacts things? That's just that's a variable we don't really know because you know yeah, uh, yeah. you know Ken Dorsey was the co- offensive coordinator at that time. They found some things that work. Do they kind of stick with that things? Dalton Kincaid's been a larger part of the offense and has been successful. But that di- that dynamic just is something else for us. To, another variable here in this game. Hundred percent. I love that shout. That's a, a beautiful shout. Let's move over to probably the perceived game number two environment here, and that's the uh, Seattle Seahawks and the San Francisco 49ers. Um, Is this a spot on a slate where, I don't want to say guaranteed, like 25-plus point outings, uh, but good players with good chances of 25-plus fantasy point outings are going to be harder to come by? Is this a slate where we just see the Seattle Seahawks taking on the 49ers and we jam Christian McCaffrey in? 
I mean, sure, if you can, always, especially no Tyreek on the slate, the main slate. So you kind of have like this dueling thing of every week where gamers start. It's like, do I go with Tyreek or do I go with CMC, right? It's kind of been like how like roster yeah. construction's been this year. Well, the choices, if you if that's your process this year, your choices have been made this week because Tyreek Hill is <laughs> not in the main slate. <laughs> uh, I yeah. know that was a big dilemma for gamers last week. You know, how do I fit in both these guys? Uh, but this week, if you just want to jam in Christian McCaffrey, hey, you could do it this week. No Tyreek. And I mean, we've seen the Seattle defense like really start to fall falter against running backs. They opened up the year really good against running backs yeah. over the past six games. 28th in yards per carry allowed to running backs. 29th in rushing yards per game allowed to running backs. They've had a league high eight rushing touchdowns to running backs over that span. Uh, also, when you just look at the 49ers, like, and not to say like home road splits are a thing, but like, man, the 49ers have been a death star at home this year. Like, absolutely. Like, Christian McCaffrey's averaging almost 30 PPR points per game at home this year. Like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> so, yeah, it's a really easy week to say, like, I can just start my roster construction with Christian McCaffrey and say, like, all right, I'll take these, especially when you talk about no Tyreek. So, uh, yeah, I have no issues with that. I think the that, Seattle like, side is probably the more interesting because, like, are they going to give us any pushback? Because historically in this matchup, they have not. Yeah. Um, Which it kind of makes sense schematically why they have not. I mean, this San Francisco mm-hmm. 49ers team has been this – um, extreme zone and they don't blitz a lot because their, their front four is capable of generating organic pressure without blitzing. That is terrible <laughs> for Geno Smith yes. and a, and an offense <laughs> that is better suited to attack man. We have an aging Tyler Lockett, who is kind of the, the guy against zone. Um, there's one guy though, in that discussion and, and that kind of that more or less eliminates DK Metcalf from my, my player pool, um, my, my condensed player pool this week. The one guy that is very interesting to me that I think you can play with CMC to get some sort of salary relief is Jackson Smith and Jigba. Um, And I think JM and uh, Pete on the block party, uh, which they recorded a day early this week. If you haven't checked that out, go check that out. um, Brought up a very interesting discussion that the field would probably be looking at JSN a little differently this week had his 44, 45 yard touchdown stood. Uh, because remember, he caught a 45-yard touchdown yeah. last week that was overturned. Um, that would have taken him over 100 yards and a touchdown. So at what his price is, 4,100, something like that. Um, yeah, 4,100. Uh, that would give Invoke a little bit different feelings for us, or at least from the field this week. That is a spot where we know that he's kind of been hovering around his median expectation the entire season or maybe median minus median below um, at some point this dude and DK Metcalf has been saying it. Tyler Lockett has been saying it. Geno Smith has been saying it. Pete Carroll has been saying it at some point, this man because of his pedigree and his talent in this offense is going to hang a hundred yard and two touchdown game. It's coming at some point. Like, is it likely to come against San Francisco? I don't know, but at 4,100, <laughs> This is a party that I want to be early to uh, for sure. So that is very interesting for me. Um, you mentioned something about home road splits. And this was kind of, it, it's funny that you brought that up because this was kind of a point of emphasis in my process this week, primarily because of the Detroit Lions and they're playing right. on grass on the road in Chicago. And so I was digging in and trying to figure out like, are home road splits a thing? And I think they're a thing if the coaching staff and the team wants to make them a thing. Let's look at the top seven scoring offenses in the league this year. From Dallas, 
Miami, San Francisco, Philadelphia, Buffalo, Detroit, and Baltimore. All seven of those teams are averaging 27 points or more per game. You look at the home road splits in scoring amongst those teams. Dallas, 41 points per game at home, 23 on the road. Miami, 38.8 at home, 27 on the road. San Francisco, 30.2 at home, 28.7 on the road. So this is a team that they just put up points. Doesn't Baltimore's matter where Baltimore is another one of those teams too. Yeah, Baltimore thirty point seven at home, twenty three point three on the road. The Philadelphia Eagles thirty point five at home, twenty four point three on the road. You get down to the Lions, twenty eight point seven at home, twenty five point eight on the road. Like yeah, some of their road games have come in a dome uh, last week against New Orleans Saints, but this I think the the standard bias that is associated with Jared Goff with this Lions team is they can't put up points on the road and they're only a dome team. I challenge that. And I challenge you to challenge that this week. Um, and I challenge you to disregard weather. <laughs> Look at this game uh, through a new light because uh, that is, I, I dove headfirst into that um, home road splits discussion. Uh, we'll just say it like that uh, this week. Very, very interesting. Yeah, I mean, these um, two teams in Chicago last year uh, scored 61 points. I think the Lions won, I think it was 31-30. That was uh, Cole Komet had like two touchdowns. Uh, yeah. Uh, but they played a barn burner. This is, is the brown draw way to get to it. Yep, 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 yep. Um, before, of the, the the discussion is very clearly leading us to that game. We'll get there very shortly. Um, before we get there, are there any other um, places of interest in San Francisco and Seattle? Are we interested in Brock Purdy? Are we interested in Debo Samuel, who put up a, uh, a rushing score and I think 22 DK points the last time these two teams played? Um, and then finally, the last question is, are you buying into any um, potential changes from the fact that that these this will be the second time these two teams have played in two weeks. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's I mean obviously and it's the fifth time they played the last two years. Uh, and the 49ers have just manhandled them in every game. I mean it, yeah. the games that they've won by 18, 18, 8, and 20. Um, just kind of it, they just haven't had an answer, man. Pete Carroll also historically pretty bad as a double digit dog uh, historically as well. So not a great spot to like really go in and chase what Seattle did against Dallas, like you said. Seattle's interesting because they have the pieces to beat like defenses that are very aggressive. And that's what happened last Thursday. I mean, you had, you open up the game with a 73 yard touchdown where DK Metcalf wins one-on-one and man yeah. coverage is out the gates, right? JSN is really wide splits against May. I was on JSN last week. Uh, mm-hmm. And this week I'm a little cooler because of the, his splits. He's third on the team in, in yards per out run against zone coverage. Uh, third on the team in target rate, but his zone stuff, his man coverage stuff was way up. So I was like, oh, this is going to be a spot where he can pop. And he almost did. He almost yeah. got there. Uh, but I do think that Debo Samuel, historically, when you look at how the 49ers use him, he sets up to play well in this matchup. And Debo is another one of these guys. You always hate to feel like you feel like you're chasing points with Debo because of the way he gets them. But like, yeah. stru- structurally, it's a, it looks like he can put another good one together because uh, when they face like zone heavy opponents, like he has been kind of the guy and the, you know, Seattle, another one of these teams, they play zone coverage on 83.4% of their snaps. Uh, he's been targeted on 24% of his routes compared to 16% of his routes against man coverage. That includes Thanksgiving. Every single target he had was against zone coverage. Uh, and that also marks a season high targets per game that he had in a game where also Brandon Ayuk played 
which is significant because the other one yeah. came when he was out. And we know that that when one of those guys misses, the other guy always smashes. So I do think it structurally makes sense. Seattle still has been really good against like boundary wide receivers. Uh, they are still a team, I believe, that limits production to outside wide receivers. So like, and Brandon, who can do what he did on Thanksgiving, score a touchdown still. He scored in, I think, four straight games. But I don't think it's a high target game for Brandon Ayuk. And I do think that Debo Samuel structurally fits the way you would want to attack the Seattle defense the way they play. So I do think yeah. he's on the board again. So I do think Debo is involved. The Seattle Seahawks are basically the optimal opponent for Debo Samuel. Yes. And I say that because they play an extreme rate of zone coverage, but they also are capable of generating pressure. And when you look at Debo Samuel's targets uh, per route run and target share when Brock Purdy is under pressure, it jumps off the page. Like this is the guy that they scheme aerial work to. He and CMC are the guys that they scheme aerial work to when Brock Purdy is under pressure. And that also, and we talked about this prior to, uh, we didn't on our show because they played on Thanksgiving, right? But I talked about this mm -hmm. somewhere. I forget where it was. The fact that George Kittle plays kind of more of an inline role, like more of his snaps come in line as this like offensive lineman 5.5. Um, they add to the protection against teams that are able to generate pressure organically, whether it's coming from um, lower blitz rates and organic pressure, or whether it's high blitz rates teams. Um, but against teams that are able to generate pressure, they typically keep George Kittle in line at a higher rate. So that means less snap, uh, slot snaps, typically like against teams that don't generate a ton of pressure, George Kittle will line up in the slot. And if it's a run play, they might motion him down to in line. Um, if it's a pass play, they might motion him out wide. Against teams that can generate pressure, they typically keep him in line. That affects his uh, route participation rate. That affects his uh, receiving, obviously. The other side of that coin is George Kittle is a player that can turn three targets into 100 yards <laughs> and a score. Uh, we saw it. Um, what was it? Um in week 10 against Jacksonville Jaguars, where he went for three catches, 116 yards and a score um, against another fast defense that can generate pressure. So all of that to say, Kittle is typically a guy where we can have a fairly confident assessment of how he's going to be utilized based on the matchup. He can win even with decreased route participation and all those things because he is a manimal um, and he is extremely good with the ball in his hands. So I typically in these spots look to ownership to kind of guide my decision-making process um, because on paper, this is not a good spot for George Kittle. That said, he can still win. So if he's coming in at low ownership, that's when I'll kind of mm -hmm. pull that trigger. So uh, again, I haven't looked at ownership. That's kind of my mindset with George Kittle in a spot like this though. Um, yeah, he looks to be uh, Fanduel. He, he's going to be one of the more popular plays where he's priced, but on DraftKings, he's projecting to be single digit. So, okay, yeah. So that's a the kind of just the process, the peek behind the curtain with how to handle an offense where the field kind of struggles to identify who is likeliest to succeed. This week at CMC, it's uh, Debo Samuel. Mm -hmm. um, a little bit less excited um, about playing Brock Purdy. I, again, have not looked at ownership, but I get the feeling because there's less, fewer projectable value pieces that Brock Purdy is probably going to garner some ownership this week. Again, I'm less excited in that spot. For me, top plays on paper here in this game are CMC and JSN, and I think you can play them together. Uh, anything to add to this spot? 
No, no, no. Then we covered it. Let's quickly jump on this question from NBA's Rick. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Great show. <laughs> Is Stroud versus the Jets, Purdy versus Seattle, or Lamar versus the Rams a better DFS play this week? Rich, over to you. Uh, I mean, just from like a, a blanket statement, like I would yeah. easily say Lamar Jackson, but uh, just because we talk about the context of the slate and like where we talk about the Ravens to home splits and like, oh, so we did talk about the Purdy's home splits too, but uh, the, like the access to like 30 point games, right? Like what Brock Purdy has to have to get there. When you look at Brock Purdy spike weeks, it's, you know, like last week where he's getting like the four passing touchdowns or like a lot of the yak, right? And like, are the 49ers going to get that this week? But um and then the Rams have really struggled against mobile quarterbacks this year, which is another reason too. I like Lamar uh, Stroud. Definitely not a spot I'm expecting anticipating much of a, uh, a ceiling. Concur across the board. And I think Lamar will talk about that game environment. Another weather game. Again, let's pump the brakes on the weather discussion right <laughs> now. Um, but even Lamar, like the, t- the type of guy like through weather, like can get there. Yes. And there's some very interesting aspects from that game that I want to talk about. And we'll get that here shortly. But before we get over to that good question, NBA is rigged. Uh, agree, by the way. Um, let's uh, quickly talk about the Lions and the Bears, um, because that was where the discussion was naturally taking us. Um, before I give my thoughts, I want to just hear from you, Rich. Um, I've given a little bit of kind of how I'm feeling from this game. Uh, but over to you, let's talk about the Lions and the Bears. No, yeah, I pretty much echo your sentiments from earlier. I mean, this Lions defense has really started to struggle. I mean, over their past six games, not even the the, the past month, the past six games, they're 31st in the league in points allowed per drive. Over that span, they're 30th in scoring rate allowed per drive. Uh, these are two of the worst red zone defenses in the NFL as well. Uh, so like there's opportunity here for there to be point score, right? Like, so th- th- that looks good. I mean, definitely for the golf side of things, I think like golf's one of these guys for like DFS, like I'm never like, he's never a guy like I'm super like infatuated with just because he doesn't come with like a rushing component and like, yeah. you know, and it's different when you talk about like a guy like Purdy who doesn't really come like with the, like a main rushing component, even though he's a, he's a little more mobile. Um, which I think one of the things people get wrong about like the Garoppolo Purdy comparisons is that Purdy out of structure is just infinitely better than Jimmy Garoppolo <laughs> ever was. Yeah. Uh, but golf's a typically a guy that like, I'm looking for like a really, really soft spot to like play him in, in DFS. And I don't I think this is, this spot offers upside, but I don't consider it like necessarily like a soft spot, uh, for him because the bears pass defense is like, it's been formidable and decent. Like they're a better run defense than a pass defense. But yeah. I think that like they're gonna like golf from his side is gonna have to work for it. Like there's not gonna be a lot of explosives for the Lions. It's gonna be a lot of uh, you know, Jameer Gibbs, Laporta, Amon Ra stuff this week. But but the Bears side is where I see like the explosives, right? Like the the the, the opportunity to get explosives. Obviously, Fields has rushed for hundred yards in three straight games. Three against straight, the Lions, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is pretty wild. If you want to alt line like that and chase it, you can get like four to one odds places, but uh and then DJ Let's Moore go. has just been on like this amazing heater, like with Justin Fields. I mean, the past four full games he played with Justin Fields, he's been a top 10 scoring wide receiver in every game, including the game against the Lions uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, don't also want to ignore, like we talked about Cole Komet having like two touchdown potential access. He's one of those guys you can never ignore on like slates like this when you like the game environment. So th- those are like the guys I'm kind of looking at. I don't know what to do with the Bears backfield at all. So I'm just going to ignore it. Yeah, it doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah, you look at DJ Moore. I mean, five of the last six fully healthy Justin Fields games, he's gone over 100 yards receiving. So that is something that is very interesting to us, right? Um, furthermore, in that discussion, let's break down the Bears. 
we've had two games all season where all of Roshan Johnson and um, and Khalil Herbert and uh, Dante Foreman have been healthy together. It was week one and it was week 11. In those games, it was three-headed backfield split. It was like nobody is asserting themselves. It was like everyone's 40% snap rate and below. Uh, everyone's seeing kind of this rotation. With Dante Foreman getting two full practices in this week to start the week, coming off his ankle injury, I expect he's going to return. I expect this backfield is going to be a messy three-way times share. Um, I am not chasing the 73% snap rate from last week from Roshan Johnson. Um, I could see, I haven't seen anybody talking about that around the industry this week, but I could see him gaining steam um, as a potential salary saver on a slate where we don't have a lot of it. Um, but like you said, if this team, and we're talking about Chicago Bears here, if this team is succeeding, it's likeliest to come through three players this week. It's likeliest to come through Justin Fields. You mentioned three straight great games against the Lions with 100 yards rushing. It's likeliest to come from DJ Moore. Five of the last six fully healthy games for Fields, he's gone over 100 yards. And it's likeliest to come from Cole Komet. The combination of DJ Moore and Cole Komet has combined for over 50% of the team's targets this season. They have combined for 11 of the 12 receiving touchdowns for the Bears this season. And they have combined for um, almost, or I think it's 43% of the team's available air yards. They've also combined for over 40% of the team's red zone targets. <laughs> it's like those two players are this passing mm -hmm. offense. So a very fun and very easy bet to make is to bet on the Chicago Bears passing offense this week. Not a lot of people are doing it. It's a quote-unquote scary weather game. Oh, the wind goes, I'm scared. Um, sorry, I, I have to throw, I have to poke fun at that because I think the field just continues to overweight. How many good decisions seven. do you think in fantasy football you've made in your career based on weather? <laughs> Negative. <laughs> zero. Zero. It, zero. It, like we, we will have to make like the Ten Commandments eventually because like we talked about tinkering with our lineups the past few weeks, each of us. Like we'll have yep. to make like a 10 commandments of like uh yes. the, the don't and whether I think yeah. weather would be on there for sure. Oh yeah, thou shalt not tinker on Sunday morning, thou shalt not overweight weather. Uh that's the first two. That's like commandment one and two for sure. Uh thou shalt play a member of the San Francisco 49ers on every slate. That's probably number three. <laughs> um, yeah, that's so like and that's you're betting on one thing. You have to get one thing right, and that's the scoring comes through the air for the for the bears. If that happens, you can capture immense upside through Justin Fields, DJ Moore, and Cole Komet. And like we've seen it twice already this season where Justin Fields tossed for four touchdowns in back-to-back -back games earlier this season. If that happens, say he tosses three touchdowns, goes over 100 yards rushing, and those three touchdowns, high probability chance that they're going to DJ Moore and Cole Komet, you can capture immense, immense upside with those three players this week. And where I will push the leverage even further. Typically when you're talking about a team overstack where you have a quarterback plus two pass catchers, the standard DFS mantra is I got to find a bring back. I would challenge that this week. And the reason is if you look at this lions team, we talked about the fact that their games are averaging 62 points uh, scored over the last four weeks. Look at their fantasy production in those massive shootout games. Amon Ross St. Brown has one game of GPP relevance in that span. Mm -hmm. Sam Laporta has one game of GPP relevance in that span. 
Jameer Gibbs has one game of GPP relevance in that span. And that's compared to their current price for week 14. Yeah. This is not, this team is so spread David out. David Montgomery is zero. And David Montgomery has zero. Exactly. And now he's facing the team that is seeding the second fewest yards per rush um, this season. So I don't think you need to force a bring back, even in your Chicago bears overstacks. I think that's a very easy way to generate some leverage, search for some ceiling this week and do it in a way that the field is not likely to um, immediate like reactions that. to that rich. Okay. No, I, I like, it. I think that when you look at how the bears play defense, they play a ton of cover two. They're second in the NFL rated cover two. It's that's been the defense that has given the lions a little, their passing game, the most trouble. Only Mike Evans has a hundred yard receiving game against the bears this season. That's it. Amon Ra had a solid game against them the first time these teams played, but he had 77 and a touchdown. So, real solid game. Like, you know, like Amon Ra is going to get his six plus catches. But, like, are they going to come with, like, when he faced the Chargers, right? Like, are, are yeah. they going to come with 150 yards? Probably not here. That's why I think it's going to be a game where the Lions have, like, a lot of completions. But, like, it's not a high, wide yards per pass attempt game for golf. 100%. And that same discussion, looking specifically at Amon Ross St. Brown, I mean, as consistent as they come this season. But... The other side of that coin is he has exactly two games where he has gone over a hundred yards and scored this season. So the chances of him being a player that you had to have this week, I think are minimal. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think you can just get access to this game environment, which I am giddy about just through the bears and this concentration in their offense. And And the pricing lines way more up for the bears guys. Like you said, I mean, these lions guys have been like Laporte has been priced as a top three tight end basically since like week three. Uh, Amon Ra's lived over 8k the entire Mm -hmm. year. Uh, And then both running backs for their backfield split are overpriced. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so that's my that read there and score a touchdown and stuff like, but like getting a touchdown out of either lions running back hasn't been enough. Yeah. hundred percent. And you need, you're going to need the blueprint of running back production in the, in, in 2023, you need a hundred yards on the ground, two scores or one score plus enough receiving work to catches, offset yeah. that. So, yeah. So it, Jameer Gibbs is probably the likelier of the two. Uh, but even mm-hmm. then I'm not overly excited uh, to jump into that. Um, all right, man. Lockstep. Yes, that, <laughs> that is, that is good to hear. Let's talk about this Rams and Baltimore game, shall we? Uh, that, I think, is the next game on the hierarchy for us this week. Uh, and again, I'll throw it over to you. What are you seeing from this spot? Well, again, it's just are the Ravens going to be like this, like, again, like, preparing back, like, the Death Star at home, right? Like, they've – especially against these NFC teams. These NFC yeah. teams that have come to Baltimore, they haven't come out very well. Like, it's, it hasn't gone well for them. Uh, and McVeigh's another one of these guys historically as like a large, as a large underdog, like his teams have really not performed. So I'm curious to see how they perform after coming off of like this three game stretch of, you know, facing the Cardinals, uh, you know, facing a beleaguered kind of Browns defense. Like, are they going to have success? Uh, the Ravens are, they have absolutely nuked wide receivers this year. So like, Mm -hmm. you know, the guys we want to pay up for the Puka Nakua's, I mean, what are we even doing with Cooper cup at at this point of life? Uh, Cooper cup's definitely not healthy either. Like we're, we've definitely seen like him over the past month. Like he's definitely playing through multiple ankle injuries and stuff like that. So really it's just kind of, to me is just can Kyron Williams kind of keep this heater going. Uh, We've seen the, the, the Ravens kind of be a team that's gotten a little leaky against running backs recently. We know like the volume's going to be there, but like, are we going to play a running back? That's almost a touchdown dog on the road for like upside. 
So like I'm I'm having trouble like finding like where the Rams get like where we get pushback here. And that's where like my biggest hurdle with this game is. Like, I don't care about the weather. I don't really care about anything else. And like really, so I just keep coming back to is just like a Lamar Jackson ISO play. Like we're do we even need to stack Lamar Jackson this week? I th- yeah, that's a very interesting discussion. We talked about like Kyron Williams has the most valuable running back role and workload yes. right now on everybody not named Christian McCaffrey. <laughs> like he is RB2 <laughs> right now in fantasy land. So can he win in this matchup? And I think it is very interesting to look at this Baltimore Ravens defense and look for some causality. Why are they struggling more than they have in recent history against the run? We look at Michael Pierce, their nose tackle. He has been on the injury report every week since week three. It has been toe. It has been knee. It has been ankle. It has been, this dude is banged up and he is like, one of the more immovable objects at nose tackle in the entire league. Um, He has been that way. He learned under, Oh God, who was the previous nose tackle they had in Baltimore? I forgot his name. Um, Michael Pierce did not come into the league and just be this dominant force. He learned behind like one of the greatest nose tackles to ever play the game. And of course I forgot his name right now. Um, He learned under him for like two, three seasons. And then Michael Pierce stepped into that role and has been this uh, this elite nose tackle, but he's been playing injured. And last week we saw Chuba Hubbard go for 104 yards and two scores against this Baltimore team. And I'm looking like, why, how did that happen? Well, we had Michael Pierce who was banged up. And we also had two injuries, two key linebackers from the Baltimore Ravens. So we're again, they're struggling with defensive injuries. Those two linebackers were, um, who the hell? Oh my god! Now I'm think I might have been thinking about another team. Anyway, oh shit, uh, <laughs> I lost. Did it. you just go on a Buccaneers dude. tangent? I did. I did. I did. I did. I'm an idiot. Anyway, we digress. La- we talked about the lack of sleep. <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, that was the Buccaneers. Thank you. Uh, yeah. They they were missing two linebackers, and that they played uh, the <laughs> Panthers. Anyway, we digress. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with Michael Pierce. Um, Sorry, guys, that was on me. Um, any other spots? Uh, the other spot that's interesting to me from this game is one Isaiah Likely. And why is that? We have this Rams team that we know they're playing extreme rates of cover two, extreme rates of cover three, their top five in zone coverage rates this season. And they've been successful at overperforming the talent that they have on their defense because this was a team, lest you forget, we came into this season in best ball land. We're like, you attack the Rams, dude. Look, they have more rookies and more undrafted free agents on defense than any team in the previous 10 seasons. We're like, this team is going to be trash on D. Well, they have they have done well, <laughs> and that is over to their coaching. Hats off to them. They have done well to overperform the talent that they have on defense. So against a defense that is playing extreme rates of zone. They're trying to limit big plays. They're trying to do enough to generate some level of disruption, force teams to march the field, and then hope to create turnovers and disruptive plays from there. Against that, we have, looking at the Baltimore Ravens, their primary piece against zone coverage heavy teams has been Mark Andrews. Over the previous four seasons, it has been Mark Andrews. We look at Odell Beckham Jr. 
He has been the guy in this offense. We're talking like over 30% targets per route run rate against man coverage this year. Struggled against zone. We look at Zay Flowers. Struggled to separate against zone. Mm -hmm. So who is the guy schematically and talent-wise that is built to take advantage of zone coverage? It's the tight end position. And I think Isaiah Likely is very interesting as a, a skinny potential partner with Lamar Jackson this week. Um, something like, I mean, even earlier this season, we saw Lamar Jackson have a four touchdown game. Two came on the ground, two came through the air, and they both went to the tight end position. So that was Mark Andrews back then. But that is something that could take place this week. Um, I love Lamar Jackson, Isaiah Likely. I think you can play it by itself. And I think if you're going to bring it back with somebody, it probably should be Kyron Williams. And I think you can do that in a plus CV fashion. Yeah. Well, I got um, some good news for you or bad news. You might take it. Uh, projected to be the highest rostered tight end on both sites this week. Oh, Isaiah, no. Okay. Likely. Well, <laughs> is it going to be paired? Where's Lamar Jackson at? Is it going to be paired with L Jax or is it one off? Uh, well, I imagine uh, it's tough to say because, you know, typically if you pick a quarterback, like, gamers that is it's in their it's indoctrinated in their brains now to put him with a pass catcher so i would assume yeah. that that will overlap but maybe you get some people chasing the zay flowers stuff but like i'm with you like you know zay flowers another one of these guys is really dramatic splits versus zone and man uh this mm -hmm. season so i would be drawn to likely as well and likely is a guy too even if he is heavily rostered we're not talking like 30 40 percent anyways um that at his salary and what he does like it's not like a guy you have to avoid necessarily because he's popular I dig it, man. We are already <laughs> approaching the end in standard us fashion. Um, I want to throw it over to you. Are there any spots that are piquing your interest um, that we have not talked about yet? Uh, no, I mean, just more like individual stuff. I mean, obviously, there are a few that I think are interesting. Uh, Broncos Chargers, I think, is a guy as a game because it's that four o'clock pivot game. We always kind of like to have one of those. We always like to talk about one of those because I think people will treat Bills Chiefs as the popular game for, for the reasons we talk about. And then you get yeah. the 49ers naturally, the 49ers because they have uh ownership regardless. But I mean, Broncos Chargers has a few individual components that I think are pretty interesting as well. First of all, both these defenses are way over exceeding their peripheral metrics. Like these are two defenses that give up a lot of yards and a lot of yards per drive, but they get turnovers and it kind of bails them out in the scoring department. But neither one of these defenses are particularly as good as the results have shown, especially yeah. over the past six weeks. So I do think that this game has a pathway to being more exciting and it's a Chargers game. So, hey, things can get weird on their own. Uh, <laughs> it's in, it's indoors. Like we talked about weather this weekend. It's indoors in L.A., who, a team that has no home field advantage anyways. Yeah. Um, and then we have a couple of these components. Like, obviously, I think the one standout people will probably get to naturally is Cortland Sutton. Uh, you know, the Chargers have been getting flooded by, you know, wide receivers. You get massive touchdown equity at Cortland Sutton. Uh, I don't know if people will chase the Jerry Judy stuff. I mean, I played a lot of Jerry Judy last week because he's been like their zone beater this year. And yeah. man, dude, when Russ didn't throw him that ball on that fourth and one, I was. Yeah, I'm still heartbroken. But, he, but the thing was, Sean Payton called Russ out after the game on it. Like the head coach publicly called out, hey, Russ is leaving stuff on the field with Jerry Judy. So does that – it's always tough to put like objectively like quantify this to the next game. But like does yeah. does Russ now force anything to Jerry Judy this week? That's very that? interesting. And Sean um, Payton and Russ are both like entities that – you can kind of buy into a little bit of the the coach speak or the like behind the scenes stuff. 
Um, that's very interesting. Um, and then very, I very also know no one's going to do it, man, because everything's happening. And I, I'm not even trying to pull anyone to the depths with me, but like, what do you do with Austin Eckler in this game? Who's coming like, with me? Because, yeah, yeah, because I mean, this is a spot that we have just regularly targeted, right? Like even as the Broncos have improved, like they are just getting flooded by running backs, like mm-hmm. absolutely flooded. And it's, and, and I know Eckler looks dusty. He absolutely does. But this is a guy that still, before the last three weeks, he rattled off three straight top five RB scoring games. So, like, it's not like he's been awful all year. It's not like a Brees Hall situation, right, where, like, Brees Hall's literally been dead outside of one game. Like, yeah. we ha- we do have a sample where, like, Eckler has RB1 production. So, he's, like, a larger field guy for me more than small field stuff because there's been some hints that Joshua Kelly could get some more work. But, like, man, like, I'm interested in, like, maybe Sutton Eckler minis and stuff like that or just this game being just – kind of overlooked and being weird because you know we can always play keenan allen and like so i don't know man this game is it's it's very weird for me but i think it has potential to be like kind of a low-key decent dfs game yeah and eckler is priced at his lowest price point all season the first time all year he's below 8k what is interesting to me also from this denver defense is they somewhat are not somewhat very quietly they lead the league in takeaways which is and that's bonkers. what's masked there. Like that's, that's what's masked all their yardage they're giving up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is very, very interesting. I like that shout a good bit. It's likely to go extremely overlooked on this slate. Um, I like the Jerry. I'm going to go dig into that a little bit more now that Jerry Judy shout, man. Uh, I want to go see, I want to, I want to find the clip of, of Sean Payton calling out Russ and I did, did Russ respond at all? Or was he asking? I have not him? seen like a Russ response, but uh <laughs> Man, would I because I was on Judy last week because yeah. uh the, the flop lag Houston. <laughs> flop lag back to the well, baby. I mean he was so um, naked, he was so naked on that play. I know uh, I saw that, I remember that. Um <laughs> parting shots, man. Um, I think we didn't talk about the the uh Colts and the Bengals. Oh, yeah, we run out of time, like probably. yeah, I feel like um Jake Browning is gonna get some significant ownership on the slate. Uh, after what he did last week, I think a lot of it's going to be paired with Jamar Chase. Um, I am very interested to play uh, Zach Moss with Jamar Chase as a mini correlation and not bring Jake Browning to the parting, uh, Jake Browning mm-hmm. to the party. Um, that is very interesting to me. I think that CJ Stroud and in particular, Nico Collins is very interesting. Um, yes, it's against the Jets, but Nico Collins without Tank Dell on the field is like a top six, seven wide receiver this year, um, particularly against zone, which we know the jets are running at an extreme rate. Um, Noah Brown is potential to give us some salary relief. We saw what he did in back-to-back games earlier this season when either Nico Collins was out for one game. And then I think it was Robert Woods. that was out for the other. Um, so he's probably entering into a more uh, robust role for that team. It's very interesting, I think, uh, Nico Collins and, and Noah Brown this week. Um, any, we got to give you time for your out the door. Do you have any out the door shots for us? Uh, no, my my out the door guy this week to not overlook is, is Bijan Robinson, though. Okay, I dig it. I'll go. To, uh, we we got to take your out the door shots seriously. We have a proven track record of success here. So <laughs> I'm going to go <laughs> dig into that a little more. As always, Rich, thank you for joining us. This was... Uh, searching for ceiling presented by one week season and sharp football analysis. If we here, let me here, let me just get some shade thrown at me uh, before we get out of here. Um, you can play, <laughs> play Houston. If you like giving away money, um, 
Uh, thanks for that, dude. Uh, but as always, we'll be here every week. We like, like Rich said, we got five more slates, man. Five more main slates. Five more. Um, so let's let's get that ship before we are out of here this season. As always, Rich. Thanks, man. We will see you next week, y'all. One week season.